Welcome, Fellowship Asheville. No matter who you are or where you are, I'm glad we get to be the church together. My name is Fred. I'm the lead pastor here at Fellowship. And I got to tell you, I fully expected everything uh, that the governor of North Carolina, Governor, governor Cooper, said on Tuesday. I fully expected all of it. But I've got to tell you, it still hit me really hard. And, and here's why it hit me hard. It reminded me that we are nowhere near out of the woods yet. And it also reminded me that I am still waiting. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I'm getting really tired of waiting. Unfortunately, apparently, uh, waiting is not tired of me yet. And so we still wait. And it kind of ties in this summer. We're starting a new series called Summer Essentials. And it starts today. And, and during this series, what we're going to do is we're going to highlight the essentials that we need, uh, not just to get through life in this Christian faith, but also to get through this particular season of waiting, this particular season of, of the coronavirus, of COVID-19. And the passage today is one of my favorite all-time passages. And here's why. It really helps me in times of waiting. It really helps me uh, because it shows me, this passage shows me how to wait differently. And so what I'd like you to do is open your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to do verses 1 through 44. And today we're going to see a time in Jesus's life that I think will hit home for all of us because this idea of waiting is a theme that runs through all of Scripture and it runs through all of our lives. I think I can safely say that all of us are waiting on something, aren't we? Right? I think, I think we're all waiting for COVID to be done. Right? Kids and students, maybe you're waiting to find out what school is actually going to be like. We know we've heard words like plan B and plan C, but maybe you're waiting to find out what it's actually going to be like. When will you be with your friends again? Maybe that's what you're waiting for. Some of us are waiting for jobs. Some of us are waiting for healing. Some of us are waiting for relief. Some of us are waiting for rest. And some of us are waiting for bills to be paid, for attention to be giving, given. Some of us are waiting for love to, to, to start and to, and to bloom. We're all waiting for something, aren't we? Well, today we're going to look at a story in Jesus's life, a time in Jesus's life where we see waiting. And I hope that you see yourself, and, and I know that I've seen me in these passages, but what I ultimately hope for us today is that we see Jesus clearly. And I hope we see something new in Him today that we didn't know that helps us to wait differently than we have before. Well, let's look at verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1 says this. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in the, vill the village of Mary and his sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is, the for, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. Now, before we go on into these verses, I want to point out a couple of, of, of really simple observations. First is this. 
In these first five verses, we see that Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loves this family. And we see that this is the Mary uh, who, who anointed Jesus' uh, feet, poured this very expensive, uh, she, she anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and, and wiped them off. She, she used this expensive perfume to anoint Jesus as a sign of worship. And so there is this great love between Jesus and this family. And secondly, we see that Lazarus is ill, but Jesus says that this illness will bring glory to God, that it's not going to end in death, and that this illness will bring glory to God. In other words, there's something about Lazarus's illness that's going to do something. It's going to show uh, Mary and Martha and those who are around them and ultimately us through the book of John. It's going to show us something about God's character, and it's going to show us something about who Jesus is. And so here's what we need to do as we work through this this passage. I want us to keep these two truths in mind, that that Jesus loves this family and that what they're going through is going to be to the glory of God. So Jesus loves them and it's going to be to the glory of God. We have to keep those two things in tension. Let's look at verse 6 because guess what happens in verse 6? It says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, right? So, so, so get this, Jesus waited two days after, after he was notified that Lazarus was ill. Instead of going directly to Mary and Martha and going to Bethany, he, he decided to wait two days. Now that's interesting. Let me give you a little change of perspective here. Because we can easily think that this story is about Mary and Martha and their waiting, Right? We can think that this season that we're going through is about our waiting. But, but here's what's interesting. We see here that Jesus is the one who waited. Jesus is the one who held back. He's the one who delayed. And so, so here's the question for us to consider today. Here's the question for you and me in this season to consider. And it's this, what do we do when Jesus waits? Right? What do we do when, when Jesus is delayed? Now, now, keep this in mind, right? We have these true truths. Jesus loved this family, and it was for the glory of God. And, and we can say these two truths are for us, this season that we're going through, that Jesus loves us, and this season that we're going through will be for the glory of God. And so, so keep these in mind as we go through this next verses, because when these things aren't together, when, this, when you're not in this tension of these two things, we tend to do this. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this, And after this, he said to his disciples, so after the two days, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Right? So, so he says, okay, let's go. And they're like, ah, Jesus, are you sure you want to do that? Remember what's going on there. And so this question is directed to Jesus. And he says, listen, you know, it, it, they're saying, do you know what you are doing? And see, here's the deal. It's easy to question Jesus, especially when he is waiting, right? right? And when we don't know what Jesus is doing when he's waiting, we can think that Jesus doesn't know what he's doing. That's what these disciples did. They thought Jesus didn't know what he was doing. Now, y'all, this can be dangerous because look at where it leads. And I got to tell you, I'm so much like these disciples. And, and, and when you read the Gospels, when you read this, the, 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 the accounts of Jesus with his disciples, that's actually the place where we land when we, we're like the disciples. We're not like Jesus as we read this. We're, we're more often than not just like the disciples. Because look at what happens when, when that tension of, of God loves us 
And this is for the glory of God. When that tension isn't there and we question where Jesus is going, look at where that leads. Jesus answered them, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees uh, because he sees in the light of the world, in the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, that you may believe, but let us go to him. I love this part. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Right? And so Jesus gives this, this great discourse about, about, listen, he's dead, but I'm going and something incredible is going to happen because I love this family and this is for the glory of God. Well, the disciples had lost that attention of Jesus loves this family and it's for the glory of God. And so they questioned what Jesus was doing. And that question led them uh, to, to, to this cynicism, right? Because you can almost hear Thomas under his breath making this cynical remark, right? That, 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 that as Jesus said, let's go, Thomas under his breath or the disciples can hear says, yeah, let's go die with him, right? Because see, that's what happens when, when we don't know what Jesus is doing, we can get cynical of what Jesus is doing, right? When we don't know what Jesus is doing, we can get cynical of what Jesus is doing. Now, I'm not going to ask you to give me a like on this part, but, but does anybody out there find yourself getting cynical these days, right? Cynical is defined as this, right? Cynical is defined as a growing distrust in others. I even saw one definition where it says this, that cynical is a lack of faith or hope in human beings, right? That seems pretty broad and kind of dark, right? It's like I have lost all faith and all hope in humanity. But the point here is the same, right? When we don't know what Jesus is doing and we question what Jesus is doing, we get cynical. We get cynical of what he's doing. When we don't know what Jesus is doing, we don't trust what he's doing. Now remember that tension. Jesus loves us, and what we're going through is for the glory of God. And if we don't hold those two things together, we get cynical. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says this, Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so Jesus arrived in, where Lazarus had been buried, and he arrived four days after Lazarus died. Now, Mary and Martha knew that Jesus could heal him, right? So this is where they were. They, they knew that their brother was sick. They knew that Jesus could heal him. They had seen Jesus heal all kinds of people. And so they sent a messenger to go find Jesus. Most people believe that Jesus was only about a day's journey away. And so the messenger came, told Jesus what had happened, and came back and told Mary Martha, I told him, right? And in that in-between time, Jesus says, hey, let's wait a couple of days. And in that in-between time, Lazarus dies. Most people believe he dies even before the messenger gets back. He's, he's dead, and he's been dead for four days. Now, can you imagine what Martha and Mary are feeling? Like, imagine this, this with me. They're friends 
of the Son of God, right? So much so that, that to announce that Lazarus was ill, the messenger didn't even have to say his name. Right? He just said, the one, the one you love. Like, like, like they were so close that, that this messenger didn't have to say who was sick. Jesus knew, and the disciples knew who was sick by just calling him the one you love. And think about the, the, the love that Jesus has for this family that has that type of bond. And so can you imagine how they felt when Jesus waited? I would imagine that they felt a little bit abandoned, maybe. Right? They, they, they might have thought, Jesus, I thought you really did love us. Maybe they felt lonely, right? They had this crowd of people around them that were mourning with them, but the one person they wanted there wasn't there. Maybe they felt confused, right? They'd seen Jesus heal others. Why didn't he heal this? They had seen Jesus heal others from a distance. Maybe they grew doubtful because maybe they thought, well, maybe this was too great of a distance to heal. Or maybe Lazarus was sick with something that Jesus couldn't heal. And, and, and maybe at the end of the day, maybe they were just done, right? It had been four days. And, and Jewish tradition believed that the soul left the body after the third day. And so when the fourth day started, that means Lazarus's soul was departed from his body, and so it was done. And so maybe, maybe they were done, right? Maybe their hopes had been shattered and they were done. See, all of these probably had gone through their mind at some point. And, and the reason I know that is because in, in different ways, some of these things have gone through my mind at some point when I've been in a season of waiting, when I've lost that tension of Jesus loves me, and this is going to be for the glory of God. So let me ask you a question. Have you found yourself there at some point? Maybe, maybe you're here right now. Where, where are you waiting on Jesus to move? And so kids, jump in if any of these sound familiar. And if you're, if you're watching on Facebook, do give me a like if any of these sound familiar in you as, as you're in this season of waiting. Do you find yourself getting cynical? Right? Have you made those under-the-breath comments about what God is doing? Have you lost hope in humanity in this? Do you feel abandoned by God even though He declares that He loves you? Do you feel lonely even though you're connected to a loving church like this? It still feels lonely at times. Does that overwhelm you? Do you feel confused that God's not matching up to your plan of 2020? Right? Do you feel doubtful? Do you feel doubt? Can Jesus even fix this? Or do you feel done? That, that do you feel like Jesus uh, has, has moved on, right? Do you feel like Jesus has left you? That's what feeling done feels like. Well, if this is where you are, let me give you some encouragement. Right? You are not alone in this. You're just not. I'm, I'm right there with you. And if there's nobody else in this, it's you and me, Right? Because I feel this in this season of waiting. I don't know why this last announcement hit me so hard, but it did. Y'all, I long for us to be back together, to worship together again. And yet we're still waiting. And this waiting is hurting. Right? I'm wondering what Jesus is doing. I feel my own cynicism rising. I feel my own judgment and distrust in ways that I haven't felt it before. Now, this passage, though, is an encouragement for us. For us who are waiting on a Jesus who's waiting, it is our encouragement. Because I think 
what we saw here at the beginning is very important, right? That, that we all, you and me, must understand that Jesus really does love us. And that this season that we're going through really is for the glory of God. And we can't forget those two things. We often say around here that waiting time isn't wasted time. Right? Waiting time is not wasted time. And if it's and if it's if it's if it's not wasted if you know that Jesus loves you, it's not wasted if you know that this is for the glory of God. It is wasted if you allow cynicism to take root. It is wasted if you allow judgment of others to be what wakes you up in the morning. Like like that's when it wa- that's when it's wasted. But waiting time isn't wasted if they, if you understand that Jesus loves you. And this is for the glory of God. There is a better a better way. In these next few verses, what we're going to see is we're going to see the heart of Jesus as we wait, his heart for us in this waiting season. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says this. <clears throat> so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So here it is. Jesus finally arrives and Martha goes out to meet him. She was the oldest of the sisters, so it was kind of her job to, to greet people. It was her job to, to cook the food, to make sure the house was clean. Like that was what big sisters did in that time. But look at what she said. She said this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now this could be taken two ways. It could be the statement of affirmation, acknowledging Jesus' power. But it's interesting, as I've studied this, some commentators believe this is a little bit different. They take it more as a jab to Jesus. And I kind of see that too, because what I see here is I see her being completely honest, right? And saying, Jesus, if you would have been here, things would have worked out better. Lazarus would be alive. You see, her hopes were based on Jesus healing her brother, yet her brother was dead. See, if Jesus had been there, this wouldn't have happened. That's all she's saying. If you had been here, this this wouldn't happen. And there's some blame here, and there's some cynicism here, and there's some distrust here. Because she's responding like oftentimes you and I respond, saying, Jesus, you could have made this better, but you didn't. You could have made this easier, but you didn't. We could be celebrating now, but instead we're mourning is what she's saying. Now this little jab shows her heart and it shows our hearts. Because you see, when, when you and I do this, when we get tired of waiting, here's, here's why we get tired of waiting. Here's the core belief in our hearts at that time. The core belief is that you and I know better than God. That's what Martha was saying. Jesus, I know if you would have been here, my brother would be better. My brother wouldn't have died. In other words, my plan is obviously better than your plan because now he's dead. See, the deal is, when we're too busy questioning God and too busy doubting what Jesus is doing, we might miss what He is doing. You see, Martha believed that if Jesus had followed her plan, it would be better. But remember, this is for the glory of God. And the glory of God is better. 
So let me ask you, anybody feeling this right now? Anybody feeling this idea that, man, my plans would have worked out better? Have your plans changed? Listen, I know mine have. I, I know your plans have changed. But, but here's what cynicism does. Cynicism makes waiting miserable for you and for everyone else around you. But look at how Jesus responds to Martha in this, because it's, it's absolutely beautiful. In verse 23, he does this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall, neither, shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now, here's what you didn't see. You didn't see Jesus condemn Martha in any of this. Because remember, Jesus loves her just like he loves you and me. Romans 8.1 says this. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, when you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus will dis discipline you. He will correct you. But here's what Jesus will never do. He will never condemn you. Right? He will never call you a bad person. He will never call you a dumb person. He will never put you down. That's condemnation. And listen, we have that going on in our head quite a bit, don't we? Rest assured, that is not the Spirit of God speaking to you. But Jesus will change the way that you think. He will correct you. And when you're waiting, this pride makes you cynical, thinking that you know better than God. And Jesus will still show up in the midst of that cynicism. And when he does, he won't condemn you. Here's what he will do. Right? When Jesus corrects you, he will connect with you. When Jesus corrects, he always connects. And here's what I mean by that. Martha thought Jesus would rise, raise Lazarus on the last day. And here's where that came from, right? Martha is a smart girl. She's a smart woman. She, she knows her theology. The Pharisees believed that there would be a resurrection of the faithful in the last day. And so Martha was acknowledging this in her good theology and in her good thinking. She was saying, you're right, Jesus. Lazarus will arise one day, and I believe that. But Jesus is lovingly revealing something to her about himself. He's saying that he is the resurrection. That he is the resurrection and life. That, that life won't just be given in the last days, it's given now. And it's given in Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's asking Martha to change her theology just a bit, to change that really smart and good thinking just a little bit, because this little change makes all the difference. It, this little change alters what you think and how you feel during the season of waiting. Jesus said that whoever believes in me, notice he didn't say whoever believes about me. He said whoever believes in me. And so Jesus is calling Martha to trust him as she waits, to connect with him as she waits. You see, church, you want to destroy cynicism, you connect with Jesus. Connection destroys cynicism. And maybe this is your response today as we read this. Maybe this is your application. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus, not about Jesus, right? Maybe, maybe you've grown up in church and you know all the Sunday school answers, right? 
But maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus. You haven't put your life in His hands. And, and, and for salvation, maybe, maybe, maybe you know about salvation, but you haven't trusted your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to be good enough to please God, trying to do enough good things to cover the bad things you've done, or, or even trying to do enough good things to cover the shame of the bad things that were done to you. Jesus is just simply asking you to trust in Him. So dear friend, maybe for you, today is the day that you trust in Jesus and find life in Him today and place your life in His hands. Now many of us listening to this right now, we are saved, right? We have done that. Here's the joy of the Christian life is that we are continually asked to believe in Jesus, not for salvation, but sanctification, right? Sanctification is this process where we, all, where we continually see these areas of our life where we're not trusting in Jesus. And He lovingly connects with us to do that. You see, for you, where there is cynicism, there is an opportunity for trust, Wherever you feel yourself getting judgy, wherever you feel yourself getting cynical, there is an opportunity to trust. Well, let's see, let's see how, how, how Mary responds to all this. In verse 28, it says this. Um, verse 28. When he had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when he said it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, and she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now here's what's interesting about this. Mary and Martha say the exact same thing to Jesus, right? Mary also says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And just like Martha, I think there is this sense of pride in Mary. Now, if you thought this was going to be one of those Mary and Martha sermons where Mary, Martha looks bad and Mary looks good, that's not it, right? This isn't it. This is one where I think they both have this pride in their hearts of Jesus, our plan was better, but their, their, their interactions with Jesus is completely different and he connects with them in a way that's unique to each one of them. Because even though Mary's pride is, is slight, it's still there. God, you didn't follow my plans. But where Martha talked to Jesus about ideas and theology, Mary fell at his feet. And here we'll see Jesus connect with her too. But we don't see this exchange of ideas. Instead, we see an exchange of emotions and actions. Jesus is going to correct her theology just as well. You see, Jesus spoke Martha's language and he speaks Mary's too. He speaks your language and he speaks my language too. Maybe you're an intellectual person, right? Concerned about ideas and, 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 and I, what I need you to know is that Jesus loves you and he will meet you there in those ideas. Maybe, maybe you're more of an emotional person, concerned more about feelings. Well, Jesus loves you and he will meet you there. Let's look at verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come uh, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now remember, when Jesus corrects, he connects, right? Mary wept, Jesus wept. He's connecting with her. Now Mary's correction didn't come through ideas and theology. It comes through action. He's still going to correct her thinking because look at what he does. Remember, she just said, Jesus, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he's going to connect with her. He wept and now he's going to correct her theology. He's going to correct her thinking. Look at verse 37. But some of them said, could, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So not only is he correcting the theology of Mary and Martha, he's going to correct what everybody is thinking. Because remember, this is for the glory of God. Verse 38, when Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there, there, is a, there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on an account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out and his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You see, Jesus shows up and God gets the glory. You see, in this waiting phase, sometimes Jesus needs to correct us in this phase. And that's why it's not waiting time. But when he does, he always connects with us. And he connects with us. Why? Because he loves us and because this season is for God's glory. And so are you in a waiting phase? Yes, you are, by the way. We all are. So let me ask you, where is your cynicism in this? Is your pride been showing your plan is better than God's plan? It, this is an opportunity for you to trust in Jesus. Where your cynicism is, there's also an opportunity. And instead of getting cynical and filling our minds with distrust and pride, what if we instead connected with Jesus and placed that judgment and placed that cynicism in his hands and trust in Jesus? And so this week, here's what I want us to do, church. Whenever we get cynical, whenever you get cynical of what somebody else is doing or judgmental of someone else is doing, how about this? Instead of letting that cynicism and judgment take root, we stop and we pray. And we see where there is an opportunity to trust Jesus. And maybe that's our prayer. Jesus, show me the opportunity in this instead of the judgment in it. And let's connect with Jesus in the midst of our cynicism. Church, I love you and I love being in the church with you. Let's hop on to Facebook Live right after this and continue this conversation. Let me pray for us. Father, we place ourselves in your hands. I place this church in your hands. I place myself in your hands, and I ask you to show us when we're being cynical. Show us when pride has taken over and when we think our way is better than your way, and instead, Jesus, may we trust in you. Father, may we place our life and even our cynicism in your hands. In Christ's name we pray, amen.